Well, in our series on the Psalms, I wanted to do a little series within a series, I guess. Songs in the key of king. <laughs> as we celebrate the coming king. And as we look at uh, a few Psalms that point us to that coming king. The expectation, his, his character, the longing for that king, and, and the dependence upon God's promises. My intent, Lord willing, is to look at Psalm 45 this morning to look at Psalm 72 next week, and then Psalms 89 and 90 in the following week. So that will be our anticipation of the coming King and and our dependence upon God fulfilling His promises to do that very thing. So this morning, Psalm 45 will be before us. Let me read God's Word to us in Psalm 45. As we come before it, the very word of the living God. <clears throat> to the choir master, according to Lilies, a maskil of the sons of Korah, a love song. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips, therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber, with robes interwoven with gold, In many colored robes she has led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore nations will praise you forever and ever. So ends the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. As we come before it, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Our God and Father in heaven, as we come now before your word again, we crave your blessing, that you would fulfill your promises that you have made, that when your word goes out, it does not return to you void, that it accomplishes everything you purpose for it and is successful in the things for which you send it. For us, we pray again that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us to open our eyes 
to see, to open our ears to hear the things that you would have us learn. So making your word a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we might walk in the light according to what it teaches us to do. This, Father, we ask in the precious name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, up to now in this, in this series called Divine Soul Music, we've considered the, the heart cries, the soul cries contained in various psalms. Started with just the, the passion, the anguish of Psalm 25. My soul cries out to God. Where I got that idea of divine soul music. The soul crying out to be taught by the Lord. <clears throat> Look at Psalms 1 and 2 and how they define the very world in which we live, two kinds of people at war with one another, but God setting his king on his holy hill and calling upon all to kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. We looked at Psalm 5, again, a soul that cries out to God. Psalm 8, the wonder of the honor that God has bestowed upon mankind. What is man that you are mindful of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels and given him dominion. And yet that honor pales in comparison to the glory of God himself. We've heard the anguish of Psalm 12 about the lying words of those around us. Compared those to the pure words of God. Looked at Psalms 14 and 15, which further expound upon Psalms 1 and 2. The ways of the foolish and the wicked man in Psalm 14 versus the ways of the righteous and wise man in Psalm 15. And then saw the the hymn to God's glorious law in Psalm 19. A law that is to be loved and to be obeyed. And to cry to God to enable us to do that very thing. So we've seen enough already just in the Psalms that we've looked at to know that there is a glorious God who deserves our worship. He deserves to be followed. He deserves to be obeyed. We've seen enough to know that He's a God in whom we can put our trust, who we can put our faith in. We've seen enough to know that God is good, that His words are true, that His law is glorious, and that He takes care of and rewards those who trust in Him. But, we've seen other things as well. We've seen that the world we live in is broken because of sin. Not broken in just some general sense, broken because of our sin. We're at fault, and sinful men are at fault. Without God, men are wicked. They're liars, they're fools. They trust in themselves and boast about their rebellion against God. And so we see life in this world as frustrating. We can commiserate with the author of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's just futile. It's empty. It's pointless. People don't follow God the way that they should. What do we do? What can we do? What can be done? So it's natural for our hearts to, to long for, to desire to see God's justice done and His mercy and grace and truth on display in the world around us. We want to see that. 
We want to see God in charge. We want to see God ruling. We want to see people honoring him. We want to see what we sang about in the song. We want to see every knee bend and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. But we don't see it. And so that's a source of frustration. People of Israel felt that frustration as well as they saw their own nation spiral into greater and greater sin. And so they asked for a king and a king in place of God. And that was a disaster. God gave them a king after his own heart, David, author of about half the Psalms. But David was a sinful man, conspired, murdered, committed adultery, plotted against his enemies, lied. Where is the king who will rule righteously? God promised a king, promised a son of David who would rule forever. What I want to do in these short weeks that we have is explore some of the psalms that reflect that promise that God has made. They celebrate and they look forward to that coming king that God has promised. We're beginning today with Psalm 45, the only psalm of the 150 that is explicitly and specifically called a love song. A love song for a king. Structurally, it has three basic parts. There's praise for that king. There's an invitation to a daughter to come and marry the king. And then it ends with a promise to the king as well. I want to look briefly at that structure and what, and what it tells us, but then finish with looking at uh, some lessons, some implications we can draw from this psalm in, in three areas of life. Worship, the words that we speak to one another, and the witness to those around us. Worship, words, and witness. I don't often alliterate, but I was able to do that today. (laughs) So the structure of this love song, what's it about? And then what do we learn in our worship, in our words, and in our witness? Right, again, this is a love song. This is a love song. God tells us this in the superscription that actually is part of the inspired word. So that's unusual for a psalm. Most of the psalms are laments. Many of them complaints, struggles revealed and dealt with. Here is a love song. This is positive. This is about as positive as it gets. It also begins a little bit differently. There's a resolve in verse 1 to let the heart overflow with a pleasing theme to address the verses to the king. Tongue ready like the pen of a scribe. So it's a little bit of a different introduction. Rather than just jumping into the psalm, it's as if the psalmist is standing back and saying, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sing a love song to the great king. Love songs, we typically know who the speaker is. It's a husband singing to his wife or girlfriend to her boyfriend. Sometimes it's a a love duet. Who's speaking in this psalm? Well, it's a simple answer. Hebrews chapter 1, 
verses 8 and 9 quotes verses 6 and 7 of this psalm as being God speaking to Jesus. God the Father speaking to God the Son. God is speaking in this psalm. This is, these are God's words. This is God's love song, if you will. It's a little bit of a question what's going on in verses 10 to 15 where a daughter is addressed. Could this be a case where it's a duet of some kind, God the Father and some anonymous mother uh, speaking to her daughter, kind of that stereotypical mother looking for a good match for her daughter, a doctor, a lawyer, in this case a king. I don't think so. I think in the end this is God speaking throughout. And we'll see that, I hope, as we go through. God, in verses 2 to 9 specifically, praises this king, who we shall see as Christ. In verses 10 to 15, he calls his future daughter to marry the king. I think this is a picture of the church. And then in the last two verses, he promises a blessing to the king. Look at each of those sections briefly. Verses 2 to 9. God, speaking of the king, says he's the most handsome of men. He's a, he's a man full of grace. He's a man blessed forever by God himself. In verse 3, he's a mighty king. He's armed with a strong sword in splendor and in majesty. In verse 4, he's a victorious king. But his cause is not for himself, his cause is for others. Those who are true, those who are meek, those who are righteous. He rides out for their cause. His right hand teaches awesome deeds. Verse 5, he, again, the, the victory of the king is such that it's complete. He doesn't just subdue his enemies, he kills them. His arrows pierce the heart. The peoples fall under him. And then these verses that are quoted in Hebrews chapter 1. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. God is speaking to God. This is like he, uh, Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at your right hand, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool. Here God is speaking to God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. The Father is speaking to the Son. I'm giving you a throne that is eternal. A kingdom of uprightness and righteousness. A kingdom that hates wickedness. I'm anointing you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. I'm giving you robes that are fragrant, myrrh, aloes, cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. God is giving the Son a throne, a glorious throne, an eternal throne. The Father is speaking to the Son. So the bridegroom here, the King, is Christ himself. Christ is being praised. This is the great King on Zion's holy hill from Psalm 2. 
This is the one who defeats all his enemies, the ones who have mocked him in their rebellion. Robed in fragrant garments, surrounded by music, attended to by the daughters of kings, his own queen is adorned in gold. God will adorn his queen in gold. He's beautiful, and so is his bride. That brings to mind our, our, our verse that was our assurance of pardon this morning. God clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. We stand before him pure and holy and lovely, not just acceptable, but beautiful in his sight. A fragrant offering, as Paul puts it. So here's a song to the glorious king and his beautiful bride. Then verses 10 to 15. Again, I think here the speaker is God, because who calls the bride of Christ? God does. God is the one who calls us to himself. And so here God calls the daughter to come. Consider, incline your ear, forget your people, forget your father's house. Is this not what we're called to do as believers? Come, and the king will desire your beauty. He is your Lord. Bow down to him. That last little phrase of verse 11 is what Paul's writing about in Ephesians 5. Both in the section about darkness and light and in the comparison he makes between the church and Christ and the husband and wife. Bow down to him. He is your Lord. Other people will honor us with gifts. We maybe don't see that one (laughs) quite as obviously in everyday life. But if we do believe that the church is going out into all the world, that Christ will build his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, then eventually, over time, we do come to possess the riches and acquire the riches of the world. Verses 13 to 15 are this wonderful picture of the beauty of the bride, a glorious princess in her chamber, her robes interwoven with gold, many-colored robes. In them she's led to the king with her companions following behind. And they're led in with joy and gladness. They enter the palace of the king with joy and gladness. This is a happy bride. This isn't some arranged marriage. I just saw a couple of advertisements on TV for a new television show about arranged marriages. This isn't 90-day fiancé, where they get the 90-day whatever it is visa. This This is a bride who was so happy to come and be married to her husband. Joyful and glad, almost beyond measure. And then the the psalm ends with almost like a prayer or a promise given by God to the king, his son Christ. It's a promise that he's going to fulfill the covenant that he's made. You will have sons. They will be princes in all the earth. 
I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations, and nations will praise you forever and ever. Is this not what Philippians 2 was looking forward to and what we sang about? The nations bowing down to the king and giving him praise. But even within the church, this is true. As the gospel goes out into all the earth, some, some of every tongue and tribe and nation coming to faith in Christ, giving him praise and glory and honor forever and ever. And so there are sons, there are princes of Christ in all the earth. So here's this incredible love song. And think about this. God is the singer. God is the lover in this song. Who does he love? He loves his son. Who else does he love? He loves his son's bride. And we can see in verse 11 that the king and the bride love one another. The king desires the bride's beauty. She bows down to him, but also comes, as we saw in 15, into his presence with great joy and gladness. So what can we learn from this? What does this psalm tell us other than a wonderful picture of God and his love for Christ and for the church? Well, again, worship, words, and witness. First, for worship. Both corporately as we join together as the body and bride of Christ, but also individually, our own private personal worship of God. Again, looking at verse 15, do we come to worship God with joy and gladness? Is that really the, the, the fount of our heart that bursts forth as we come to worship? And we talk a lot about the person and work of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us and, and how we respond to that. And we should talk about those things, and they are essential and foundational for our faith. Out of that flows gratitude and thanksgiving. But do we, do we sometimes just need to stop and sit back and reflect upon the simple love that God has for us, the bride of his Son? At our weddings, at human weddings, Typically, dad is a pile of goo. He's thrilled. He can hardly stand it to be in the presence of son or daughter getting married. If we do that as humans, God doesn't change into a pile of goo. (laughs) He's unchangeable in all his attributes and beings and perfections. But he delights with great delight in us. He loves us looks upon us with great favor. Do we see that? Do we appreciate? Do we stop and reflect upon the joy that the Father has for us? The love that he has for us. Just for no other reason than we are the bride of his Son. And then in response, do we we reflect this back to him? You know, there's a common complaint about contemporary worship music today. I see more articles about this more frequently lately. We could take John Lennon's phrase and call them silly little love songs. Too often we can substitute Jesus or God in those songs for the names of our husband or wife or 
boyfriend or girlfriend and, and not change the lyrics at all except for that. That's tragic, I think. Or there's just not much content. We, we, we sing songs that have lyrics about how God is awesome or God is wonderful or God is amazing or God is overwhelming. He's like a wave that crashes or a mighty wind that blows, blah, 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 blah. But we never stop and say, why is God awesome? He is, but why? He, he is great, but why is he great? Why is he wonderful? Why is he amazing and overwhelming? You know, there's pretty common advice given in, in couples counseling. Or if you go to a marriage retreat, you've probably heard this. There's often an assignment given. Go back and, and write down three things, or write down five specific things about why you love your spouse. Not she's awesome. Why is she awesome? That's a great exercise for us, because oftentimes we don't communicate that as often as we should in our relationships. Well, again, if that's true for humans, how much more for our relationship with God? Do we just stand up there and say, oh God, you're awesome? Is that what this psalm does? No. The son is handsome. He speaks gracefully. He fights for the meek. He fights for righteousness. He fights for the cause of truth. He defeats enemies. He loves righteousness. He hates wickedness. Those are specific qualities and attributes and actions. Now that's, that's a God worthy of giving our praise. So we should be careful in our worship. Our love songs to God should not be empty, general platitudes, but full of specific reasons why we praise God. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. That's a truth that I can give praise to God for. How deep the Father's love for us. Think of the lyrics in that song as well. So our worship should flow from the depths of our hearts, informed by the things that we know about God and what he has done for us, with love and with joy and with gladness, full of those real truths, real reasons to give praise to God. Both the heart and the mind. What Jesus was talking about with the woman at the well, right, in John chapter 4. He's going to have worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. For those are the kinds of worshipers that the Father is seeking. Do you love the Lord your God? Then show it. And show it with passion, but also with truth. The second implication I'm calling words, and I'm thinking about the words that we speak to one another within the body of Christ, the church. We all are members of that body. We are all part of the bride of Christ. We're all beloved by him and by our Heavenly Father. So when we look around at, at, at other people in the church, what we see are people who are affectionately loved by God. God affectionately, powerfully loves and cares for that person. And so a simple question to ask ourselves as we interact with one another, 
do we, do we reflect that love ourselves? Do we treat each other with the same kind of affection? Because we should. It's something that Jesus prayed for, something that he taught us we should do. This, this call to love one another is repeated in the New Testament. Let me just give you the litany of, of verses. John 13, 34. John 15, 12. John 15, 17. Romans 12, 10. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. 1 Peter 1, 22. 1 John 3, 11. 1 John 3, 23. 1 John 4, 7. 1 John 4, 11. 1 John 4, 12. 2 John 1, 5. Love one another. Well, if God loves the bride, so should we. Do the words that we speak to one another, do the actions that accompany those words reflect that kind of love? Are they extensions of the kind of love that we see displayed in Psalm 45? And do we remind one another? It's one thing for me to do it from the pulpit. Do we remind one another of the love of God for us? When was the last time you told a brother or sister in Christ that God loves them? Told them why he loves them and what that love means for them. I know we're Reformed people. We're kind of straight-laced and even-tempered. God loves us. <laughs> That's amazing and wonderful. Do we encourage one another with that truth? It might just be the word that a grieving, struggling brother or sister needs. The psalm is a comfort. Our God loves us the way this love is described in this psalm. May our words have such comfort and assurance to each other as well. And that leads to the idea of witness, because those words aren't to be self-contained, but there's a witness that goes out to the world around us. And we can see this even in the psalm. Look at verse 10. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. That's a call. Come. Marry my son. He's a good guy. He's a king. Read what I just said about him. Come. There's a call in there to be joined to the son, the king, to Jesus. And that marriage to this king It's for everyone who hears that call and repents and believes in Christ as Savior. They know that Jesus already has been victorious in the cause of truth and righteousness in his life and death and resurrection. He's conquered sin and death, given new life, true life, a righteous life, to those who come to him in repentance and faith. Here the Father issues the call in Psalm 45, verse 10. But who issues that call today? We do. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the voice that goes out, sharing the good news on behalf of our King and of our Savior. God loves the bride and has a wonderful King for them. How wonderful that king is, we'll learn more about, God willing, next week in Psalm 72. Verse 17 again. Jesus' name is remembered in all generations. 
as they hear the good news of the gospel and come to him in repentance and faith. So the third thing to think about from this psalm is, will we be that witness? Will we be those who share the good news? Share the love of God in Jesus? Because the world around us desperately needs that love. They're craving it. They're seeking it with virtually everything they have. Just look at the silly love songs they write. Listen to the radio. Pull out your CDs or LPs or whatever you have laying around. Pull out your iPod. Pull out your iTunes. Go on Pandora. However you do it today, listen to the love songs that are written. Listen to the yearning. Listen to the desire. The plaintive cry, love me. The world is looking for love and we have the answer. Look at this picture in Psalm 45. Go home and read it again. God loves his people passionately. Loved them so much he sent his son to be one of them. (laughs) To live and die and be resurrected for them. You want love? Come to Jesus. And if you know Jesus... And be comforted and be assured in this truth. You are deeply loved with great affection. And if we can say this about God with great passion, I think we can if we're careful. And if you know that love, then return it. Return it with joy and return it with gladness. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, (coughs) we do thank you for the great love with which you have loved us, for the rich mercy that you have shown to us. And that while we were yet sinners, dead in our trespasses, you sent Christ, your very own Son, your beloved Son, to take your wrath for our sin in our place, and to offer us his righteous obedience as our very own. Simply by receiving the gift offered through faith. Increase our faith, increase our devotion, increase our love, increase our appreciation for your love. Increase our love for you and for one another. May we be truly salt and light to those around us, shining light into dark places, sharing the love of God in Christ, for all who come in repentance and faith, warning of the wrath to come for those who refuse. We cannot do this in our own strength or in our own wisdom. So we ask again for the the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us. All of this we ask in the precious, truly precious and wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.